Good morning. Great to see you this morning. Bill and Paul, uh, guys that are early 20s, decide they're going to start a company, okay? And uh, they have this great idea, they thought, to start this company called Traff Odata. Have you ever heard of Traff Odata? No, you haven't because it wasn't a good idea, but they thought it was. So they poured all their energy and time and resources and basically they were trying to produce a device which, would, which could read traffic tapes and process the data. They went to sell it, Bill and Paul went to sell it <laughs> and their first demo failed because the machine didn't even work. Kind of hard to sell something that doesn't work, probably not gonna sell it. That was their first attempt I guess it would have been easy for him to think, you know what, I'm just going to go get a regular job. This isn't for me. I'm not the kind of guy that starts a company. But uh, they didn't. And now we know Bill today as Bill Gates, um, whose first job or first company was an absolute failure. Absolute failure. Stephen always dreamed of, of working in the theater industry. Uh, planned his whole life that way, kept applying at USC School of Theater, Film, and Television. Not one time, or the first time, he was rejected. The second time, he was rejected. The third time, he was rejected. In fact, he just walked away from that dream. But he didn't, he walked away from the dream of going to school there, but he didn't walk away from the dream of directing and producing movies. And today, you know him as Steven Spielberg. This young man was uh, someone who didn't speak for the first three years of his life. Um, In elementary school, his teachers thought he was lazy, thought he wouldn't make anything of himself. In fact, he was associated with words like, I kid you not, dud or dull. Um, It kind of worked out for Albert Einstein later on in his life. Steve and his partner started a company when they were 20. They worked hard, and in 10 years, they had grown from just the two of them in a garage to $2 billion a year in in revenue and over 4,000 employees. At 30 years old, he's accomplished this, and then he gets fired by his own company and is back to square zero. But he didn't quit. He didn't hang it up. And we know him today now as Steve Jobs. There was a young man named Michael who was cut from his high school basketball team as a freshman. He was too short. Leroy Smith was taller than him, and he got the final spot on the roster. Michael says the day, that day he went home and cried, but he also decided he wasn't going to give up on basketball. Obviously, that kind of worked out for Michael Jordan, the greatest basketball player of all time. I know I'm in Cavs territory. This 22-year-old was fired from her job because she was considered unfit for TV. She was terminated from her post as a co-anchor of the 6 o'clock news in Baltimore because the show received such low ratings. But she didn't quit. And now you know her today as Oprah Winfrey. This man, his first story he wrote was rejected by 30 different publishers. 30 times his story was rejected. 
He didn't quit. Today he sold over 350 million copies of which I have never read one of his books. But his tenacity and his, his desire to not quit is something to be admired. You know him today as Stephen King. In 54, just after one performance, Jimmy Denny, manager of the Grand Ole Opry, told this person, you ain't going nowhere, son. You ought to go back to driving a truck and fired him after his first show. I'm pretty sure he made the right decision by not going back to driving a truck. That young man who was fired after his first performance is Elvis Presley. I have a point in sharing those stories with you, but I want you to hang on to those stories as we start to move into this. Jesus is greater. That's the whole purpose of this book. It, uh, it's written to show us that's the reality. Um, and it starts by inviting us that if Jesus is greater, it calls for us to place our life, our faith, our trust, all that we are, in him, on him, so to speak. If this is gonna work, if he's greater, and because he's greater, he can do greater things and is, it will do greater things in our lives, then immediately this book calls us to place ourselves in what I would say a radical faith in Jesus Christ. I want the greater things in my life. I want him to do great things with my life. I want the greater life that he has called for me, well then it comes as Jesus, the greater one, is in my life and I'm connected to him. And that calls for me to make a, an abandonment of myself, an all in kind of posture toward him. Jesus, you're it, I'm all in with you. And that's the way this book Starts Last week, we kind of began to understand how Jesus is greater. He's greater because he's Lord over all of creation. Remember the phrase, in him all things hold together. He's greater because he's Lord over the church, his new creation. In fact, it would be called his better creation even is this church, this idea of the body of Christ the bridegroom of Christ, his chosen people. And it says that he's Lord over that. And the words there are that literally he is the source for the church. He is the lifeblood of the church. He is everything that the church operates out of. We read that he is Lord over reconciliation. He is the only one that could make things right. No one else was qualified. No one else could do it. He did it. He overcame through the cross that we've, we've celebrated today, through the empty tomb. He is Lord over reconciliation. And that reconciliation is far-reaching. Yes, he's reconciled us to God, connected us back to God, but he's not finished because he is going to then reconcile, remember the words, all things. He is going to reconcile this world as the world right now groans and waits for, the, for its original design, its original creation. He is going to make all things new and right. He is the Lord over all of that. And that's why he is greater. He is greater than anything. So that was exciting. This passage I come to, I'm reading, 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 going over, I'm thinking, oh, this isn't so exciting. This is gonna be fun, like, they're gonna fall asleep in the first two minutes on me here. Terry. <laughs> but you know, the more I got into this, I thought, you know, there's some things we can see. 
Obviously, there's things we see. All scripture is written uh, by inspiration of God. And it's profitable for proof, instruction, and doctrine. Everything's, nothing's wasted. Even Leviticus has, you know, the, the whole genealogies has a point, a purpose. And I see in this passage some things that I have grabbed onto this week that have really uh, stuck with me that I think he's trying to communicate to us. And so we're just gonna read through these verses. And I'm gonna do a little bit of a running commentary. Okay, I'm gonna stop and say, hey, this is kind of, and so don't fall asleep during the commentary, okay? Because we're gonna get to the point at the end. But I just want to, to kind of flesh these out. If you have a Bible I invite you to turn to it because it's always good to kind of like have it in front we got it on the screen which is great but I kind of bounce back and forth as you probably begin to realize and so but I want to start in verse 23 at the end of 23 this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven of which I Paul have become a servant and when you begin to understand what he is saying in that word servant, you begin to gain a greater appreciation for Paul and you begin to understand, I don't know what we would call it, like a greater tidbit, okay? I'm gonna call it a greater tidbit. Here's a little something you kind of ought to know about the greater life because Paul... Woo, Paul, like revelations from God, experiencing so much stuff. Like he experienced so much glory that God actually told him, Paul, I gotta give you a thorn in the flesh, uh, which I think it was his eyesight. Um, but you know, people have a lot of different theories about that, but it seems like he, was, he couldn't see very well and it bothered him, it awful, you know? It was a thorn in the flesh because God said especially, Paul, I'm gonna go ahead and give you this because you have seen so much of my glory, of what I can do, and God has used, I have used you so much that I kind of need to give you a little thorn in the flesh just so you're not tempted to be so arrogant and conceited. Because man, you have seen it all. This is Paul we're talking about who refers to himself as a servant. And when you begin to understand this word servant, basically, modern day translation for us, bus boy. I'm a bus boy. I'm not even your waiter at your table. I'm the guy who buses your table, who serves the waiter of your table. That's how I picture myself. I used to do that. Anybody else ever do that? I did. Ponderosa Steakhouse, Lyme, Ohio. It was the rocking place in the 90s, let me tell you. No, I won't go into that. That's another story. Great place to work. But um, Used to bus, hated busting tables, right? You're digging through all the food and bleh. Jeez, or Paul, Paul looks at himself as a busboy for the gospel. In fact, in other places, he uses a term, another term for himself, that is, um, <clears throat> it's the third deck rower. Now you and I are like, what? I don't know, I had to like look it up. You know, kind of, what are you talking about, Paul? It's like, so the way they transported themselves there back then with ships and they would use the rowing and guess what? The job you didn't want or the slave had, the slaves on those boats, the absolute worst one you could do was the, the bottom deck because you are in the, I mean, the bowels of the ship. It is hot. There is no light. You're literally rowing, sweating in the dark. Paul refers to himself as that. I am that kind of person. That's who I am. That's how I see myself. You know what? That is a greater tidbit for you and I 
because Jesus referred to this. Here's Jesus, the Lord of all creation, Lord of everything, doing what? Washing dirty, dusty, probably smelly feet. Because the principle is, the way we see ourselves is then how God can use us. And if we have a humility about us, if Paul walked through that door, I don't doubt. Well, he said, I I take comfort in the fact that Paul himself said he wasn't a very good preacher. He said that about himself. He said, I didn't come to you with a lot of fine sounding words and um, I was kind of plain and ordinary, but I came in the power of the Holy Spirit. But I think one thing we would recognize when Paul came up here would be like, wow, that guy, it just oozes humility. He's not caught up in Paul. And so, greater tidbit right there, all right? I am a servant. And then he moves into this section. Verse 24, now I rejoice in what was suffered for you. I rejoice because I'm suffering. I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions. Now, if you're like me, you're like, Ert! red light, what do you mean? How is Christ's afflictions lacking? You have just said all this about him, how he was the greatest thing in the world, how his work on the cross was the great. How are you now saying, well, yeah, but that affliction was lacking? That's not, again, this was written in a different language and sometimes the, the, with the translation, it's kind of bulky. We gotta kind of say, okay, so what do you mean? We, people that are not English have to do that with us a lot because we have a lot of different phrases and sayings. They're like, what do you mean? You know, and so here, what he basically, Paul is saying is, listen, it's not that Christ, what he did was lacking. It's the fact that um, the affliction that I am facing it still carries on because of what Jesus has done. And I embrace the fact that I am being afflicted for the gospel and that you and I can still identify with Jesus Christ as he suffered, as then we suffer for the gospel. We are identifying with him and we are filling up in our flesh. It's still happening. Lacking is that it has not yet stopped. We are still suffering. He says, I embrace that. I embrace it for the sake of the church. I have become its servant. Again, there's that word. By the commission, the commission, it's basically, I know my role type word. This is my job. I, I, I am a servant to the job God gave me, and my job is to present to you the word of God in its fullness. That's what I'm doing. That's what I've been called to do. I'm suffering for it. I don't care. That's God's job for me, and that's what I'm doing. He says this fullness, this word of God is fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the saints. To them God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery. What is the mystery? Which is Christ in you. 
the big deal, what they couldn't see for thousands of years. What God are you doing? Why are you doing this? Why are we doing that? Prophets are talking. Things are happening. Some, there's a promise of some Messiah out there. What's he going to do? How's he going to come? What is he going to do when he comes? Well, you know what? What was hidden, what was not known has been revealed. It's Jesus Christ. He came. He died. He didn't set up a kingdom on this earth at that time. He did what was needed to be done by dying for our sins then he rose from the dead to triumph to make it so that we can have victory but you know what he did he didn't even stick around because the greater thing the better thing was I'm going to send to the father and I'm going to send you the promise of the father which is the Holy Spirit that is the mystery that you and I now are the temple of the Holy Spirit the church is not in one place. It's not one thing. And he's not back in a room, the holy of holies, that God is literally dispersed throughout this world through the spirit of God living in his children. That's the mystery. And they didn't get that. We get, you're like, oh, I knew that. <laughs> Learned that in third grade. What was wrong with all those people? They didn't see that. They didn't know. And he said the mystery is also that God didn't just come to save the Jewish people, but actually the plan always has been to save all of mankind. Didn't get it. And he said, we proclaim him, verse 28, admonishing, which is a negative term, warning. Uh, Paul said, part of my job is teaching is to warn you and to teach positive, to instruct, to give information, everyone with all wisdom, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. Woo, this is great stuff, isn't it? You guys are going. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of like, oh, this isn't exciting as last week, I know. Basically, I'm gonna get to my point here, which I think is valid, really good. So my job at the end of the day, is to present everyone perfect in Christ. Perfect is a word that we use like it's without flaw, it's blemishless. That's not even a word. Um, it's, <laughs> it's uh, you know, perfect. Scripture doesn't use that. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. I read that verse, I'm like, whoop, I'm out. Something's gotta happen for me because that's not happening. That's not what that word teleos really means. It's complete, mature, it's mature. And he said, my job, I have been commissioned by God. I am a servant to that role God has called me to. It's to teach, admonish, it's to bring you guys to a point where you are mature in Jesus Christ. And to this end, I labor, struggling with all his energy, which with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how hard I am contending for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My goal, my purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love. Encouraged in heart is to be made strong in heart so that they might have the full riches of complete knowledge of understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, which is namely what? Jesus Christ. In whom are hidden all the treasures of not wisdom and knowledge. I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine sounding arguments. And so, what is he saying? What do I need to know? And how is Jesus greater in all of this? 
I would say that as, if you sat down and read this passage, as you begin to look at it, you begin to see a few things that should stand out. I think it's in two words, two words. Purpose and mystery. Purpose and mystery. I say purpose because look at these words. I am a servant. I have been commissioned. I am admonishing and teaching. He is showing us that his role, his deal, was to present them complete in Christ. There is no doubt that Paul understands that he had been given a role to complete. This was his deal. This was his part of the kingdom. If I'm reading that, I'm then reminded, oh yeah, God does that, doesn't he? He gives out roles. Oh yeah, I've read that somewhere else in scripture that everybody has been given a role. And I'm thinking, okay, so Lord, what's my role? Paul knew his role, do I know my role? Do I know my place? Do I know what God is calling me to do? I read in scripture that God's calling each one of us to be a part of the body, to fulfill a role, to be a, an ankle or a knee or a, an elbow or a nose or a kidney or a liver, whatever that makes this thing go. And then I read that, you know what? God's promised actually that to everyone he's given a role, he's given a gift, he's given a talent. And Paul knew that, he saw that, he embraced that. Am I embracing the role that God has for me in his kingdom? Do I know it? Have I even sat down and thought about it? God, you know, I go to that church and uh, I enjoy the fellowship there. I enjoy what's going on. Um, but God, what, what do you want to do with my life? What do you want me to do there? Because I'm promising you that God has a role position so to speak for everyone and in fact the scriptures teach that when you find your role and you contribute it to the body that the body becomes stronger and more powerful and more effective so I'm reading this and I'm thinking you know what God does call not only Paul but he calls me he calls you that's that's his mo right Paul knew it he got it but I'm reminded of something in this that is so important for each one of us to know that this purpose does not come without adversity. Because you see Paul talking about his role, I'm a servant, I'm commissioned, I'm teaching, I'm admonishing, but he's also using words like, as I'm doing this, I'm laboring. He's using words like, I am suffering, and I am laboring, and I am struggling. And I would remind you this morning, anything that is done that is worthwhile will meet adversity. Anything that is done that is worthwhile will meet adversity. That's why I opened with those opening illustrations. That's just a worldly type illustration, right? But people we all recognize who have accomplished by our world standards a lot every one of them faced adversity. Many of them faced many adversities. Because I would remind you that anything that is done that is worthwhile will meet adversity. You know, I think, you know, Michael Jordan, second grade, they already knew. Yeah, that's gonna be the greatest player ever. 
He got cut from his basketball team in high school. He didn't throw in the towel on it, though. He didn't face adversity and just, I'm out. This is too hard. It didn't come easy. Wasn't natural. No. And Paul here is saying, listen, I know my role. I'm doing it to the best of my ability. God, I, 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 I see what he wants me to do. But guess what? It's not, without, it's not without adversity. I'm struggling. I'm laboring. And I would remind you that that is, so, that is the principle of life. Paul had no idea, I, I don't doubt, that 2,000 years later we would be talking about him on a Sunday morning, be using his life. But you know what? He didn't quit in the middle of adversity. He kept after it. He didn't back down. He kept facing it day after day after day. And again, nothing worthwhile is accomplished without adversity. <clears throat> Do you believe that this morning? I know it's not something we all want to like, yeah, give me some adversity. But I would remind you that in your life, I, know, I have no doubt that many of you are thinking about how you got to where you're at and you would know that many times it was, with, it was not without adversity. But you'll find that actually the best things in your life as they came with adversity, they, they become even greater and better for you. And that's what Paul's modeling for us, helping us to remind, helping us to be reminded of that. What is my role? Well, my role is to be a spirit-filled believer. My role is to be conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. My role is to have uh, his life in me and me walking with him. And then out of that, flowing out of that, I find a place and a purpose. And I live that out and I give myself to that. And I say, you know what, God, this is what you want me to do. Maybe it's like, I feel like, God, you're teaching me to teach Sunday school. And man, I started doing that and it's not fun those kids are crazy see I wouldn't teach Sunday school <laughs> and man I am tired of this I mean week after week this is wearing me out maybe or am I doing any good or I I'm telling you when you face that just keep plugging away because nothing that is done is worthwhile is not without adversity. And it's many of us, we look back, and I've seen those people who've 20 years, 30 years, 10 years, taught Sunday school, taught me, and when they come to the end of their life, we stand around and we talk about, you know what? Wow. What an influence they had on me. Look what they've accomplished. Look what they've done. Look what has been, what's happened through their life. And no doubt, it would have been easier for them sometimes to quit, to throw it in, as Paul here is saying, listen, this is not easy, but it's what God called me to do, and I realize that when I do what he's called me, when I persevere, even though I'm struggling, even though I'm laboring, that God is gonna pay that off, and he's gonna use that and me for the good of his kingdom. I would remind you, though, that verse 29 says this, 
To this end, I labor, struggling with all his energy, which works so powerfully in me. And that's the difference between me and Bill Gates. Bill Gates was able through God, the brain God gave him, the creativity, to, to start all that and make a lot of money. And, and, and we can pull that stuff off, right? We can do that. But in this Christian walk, we can't do that. It can't be all about Chip Bullock and his ability and his strength and his creativity and his whatever. It's not about any of that. It falls flat. And the only way that Chip Bullock is going to be able to fulfill the role God has called him to in his life as a Christian and then in his ministry as a servant of the Lord, as finding my role and fulfilling, and I know you guys look at me like, well, you, got, you do that for a living. It's easy for you to say. But the only way it can happen is for his power working in me. And the only way that you're gonna be a, an effective, God-used Sunday school teacher for 20 years is you allowing God to work in you and empower you and strengthen. The only way you're going to be used in this role in the church year after year, being effective, building something, building the helping build the church, the kingdom, the only way you're gonna be able to be an effective witness in your community, building friendships, relationships, where that at some point you're able to share Jesus through words after after you've already shared him through your life, the way that you live is through him working in you, empowering you, and strengthening you. And I believe Paul is teaching us that Jesus is greater as he empowers our purpose. That's the only way. He's got a purpose for each one of us. He had a purpose for Paul. It wasn't easy. It wasn't without adversity. But all through the adversity, all through the purpose he had for him, he empowered him every step of the way. That's why Jesus, the last thing he said to us was, hey guys, remember, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I am with you in this. And if I call you, I am there with you and I will strengthen you. Some people I hear say like, well, I just don't think I can, I can do that. God's calling me to do that, but I can't do that. I'm like, that's just the wrong way to think. If God's calling you to something, well, guess what? You're gonna be able to do it because he doesn't call somebody to something that he doesn't then give the, the power and strength and the grace to be able to do it. So that's the first thing I notice about this. Second thing is in this word mystery, the Christ in you. You see in verse three, he says, uh, the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And when I was thinking about that, I was reminded of Corinthians, and I'm not gonna take the time to read all of that passage, 10 verses. I challenge you at some point this week, read 1 Corinthians 2. But basically, the idea in 1 Corinthians 2, as it, it harmonizes with what this is, that Christ in me, the mystery of God, is what is, it's the hidden thing that gives me the treasure of all wisdom and knowledge, and Corinthians comes alongside and kind of fleshes that out even bigger and basically says that if you want the life, the abundant life, the only way that that will happen is when Christ is in that him being in you opens your heart, your mind, 
your understanding and gives you wisdom in how to live, how to understand life, how to make the choices that maximizes your potential in life. It maximizes how you can live out this life. It gives you the ability to fully experience what joy is and what peace is and what love is. It gives you the ability to fully maximize the potential, the talents, the gifts that God has given you. It gives you the ability to look at life and say, you know what, I get this thing. And even though it's tough sometimes and even though it doesn't always go the way I plan or hope, I get this and I have found my place, my purpose and God is using me and I'm effective. And the only way that happens is what he's saying here and in Corinthians is when the spirit of God is living in us and then through us. And so I would tell you that Christ is greater as he maximizes our life. He empowers our purpose and he maximizes our life. And that is what Paul experienced and what he's so desperately trying to help us to see. Find your place and then live life to its fullest. And in both of those things, the way that happens is when you and I are connected, stay connected, and grow closer to God through his Holy Spirit. Amen? Yeah, you said amen, we're gonna go. Because when you say amen, you say, I heard it. And so I don't have to say it four more times, thank you. They always teach you in preaching, like you're supposed to tell them and then tell them what you said and then tell them again. That's one of the principles of, so sometimes you're like, you repeat yourself. Well, that's what I was taught to do. This little passage kind of sideline, okay, what are you doing here, Paul? You got me really going with Christ being Lord over everything. I can buy into that. I can see, what are you doing here? It reminds us, it reminds us, Paul saying, listen, you know, Christ is greater in the fact that he called me to something and he has empowered me every step of the way. And it's been tough. It's not been without adversity. But even in that adversity, he has shown himself real and strengthened me. And I would say the same for you and I. What's my role? What's my purpose? It's not going to be la-di-da, easy-beasy. But God will continually, consistently be there with us, strengthening us to fulfill our purpose. And then he goes on and says, listen, I want to talk to you about this mystery. Christ in you, the big deal. When that happens, man, it maximizes your life. And then you can say, you know what? I know exactly what Jesus was meaning when he says, I've come to give you life and life more abundant. Not just a living, not just existing, but living, wow, out of excess. Maximize your life. How does that happen? Christ in you, the mystery. I'll finish with this little story. I think it was the year 1889, over 100 years ago, sorry. It was well over 100 years ago. A tornado struck the prairies of Minnesota. Many were killed, hundreds were injured, and one small town was almost demolished. In the midst of that disaster, there was an elderly British surgeon 
and his two sons who had been medically trained, who worked almost around the clock in that little community way back when for days, aiding the stricken, bandaging wounds and setting broken limbs. They were so above and beyond that it was said that their heroic work did not go unnoticed. Their excellence as physicians and their selflessness in the service of those in need created a following of, among the tornado victims. That's my guy. That's my doctor. I know what he did for me in that disaster. And they just started, that they created a following. In fact, uh, they had done so well that people were so moved that the doctor and his sons were offered financial backing to build a hospital in that area provided that they stayed and were in charge of that hospital. The men agreed, and in 1889, a little clinic was founded that soon attracted nationwide attention. Their little clinic grew. That was in the city of Rochester, Minnesota. The doctor's name was William W. Mayo. His two sons were William J. and Charles Mayo. Their clinic was simply called the Mayo Clinic. It now consists of over 500 physicians treating more than 200,000 people a year. It is known worldwide as one of the premier places of health, healing, and excellence in, mission, in medicine. But I'm sure if you went back and asked the citizens of Minnesota about that Rochester tornado at that time, they would said that that event was just all about death and destruction. It was just an unqualified disaster in that area in that time. But put in perspective, more than 100 years later, the hands of a creative God, the tornado really became something far greater. It became about life and health and healing. They had no idea. It was just like, man, this stinks. This just took people's lives and destroyed things. They had no idea that was what was born out of that tragedy and that adversity was something that helps hundreds of thousands of people every year. And I would remind you as you go that Paul really sits on this idea that I'm called God's purpose and it's not easy and it's with adversity and I would remind you that so often and Paul's story would share this in other places it's actually the adversity that we face that God uses to better equip us for our purpose and God uses what is oh, and he turns it around and uses it for great things later. So your purpose is, there's adversity and your purpose is not, okay, well guess what? God's gonna be faithful to continue to use you. He will use you. And even in the midst of adversity, he's probably gonna use that adversity to make you more effective. I just talked to a young lady that came up to me after service, the first service, and said, you know what? It totally hit home with me because I have faced some really awful things in my life, some challenges in my life. And you know what? 
through those challenges, I now know what I'm supposed to do. I know what my purpose is. And that actually God has used those challenges to get me ready for what he wants to do with me. Because that's what God always does. And Paul reminds us of that in this passage. Because at the end of the day, Jesus is greater because Jesus works through all of those things. He empowers our purpose. He maximizes our life. Let's pray. Father, I know this isn't super exciting stuff, this passage, but you gave it for a reason. You're teaching us, sometimes line upon line, precept upon precept. Sometimes it's these things that we just need to know that fill in the gaps. And so, Lord, thank you for reminding us of this as we're talking about Jesus and how he's gonna triumph over all these big things. But you also remind us that you're the one who gives us a purpose and then you give us the strength and the grace to fulfill that purpose. And that even if we face adversity, you use that adversity to strengthen us and to use us in an even greater way. And Lord, we're reminded uh, that you also maximize our life. Um, that Christ in us, is the, it's the treasure, it's the hidden treasure of all wisdom and understanding. And that you coming in, you give us the right perspective of life. You give us the ability to make the right decisions, to see things the way you see things, and to experience this life the way that you had always designed for it to be. And so, Lord, we go with confidence and gladness that you've provided this for us. We want to know our purpose and to be used, and we want to live the abundant life And in you, Jesus, through the power of your Holy Spirit, you make that possible. Thank you, Father. Go with each one from this place. Help them to have a great fourth celebration, Lord, and all the parties, the friends, and the family. Just make it a blessed day, and tomorrow we pray, and a blessed week in Jesus' name.